Last week, Junior reminded me that last week we heard 220 volts of Trent Tuggle, and that this week we were going to hear a AA battery. And so, and while that's true in terms of the production to the presentation, yet the Word of God is still powerful, despite the fact that it's not presented in such a um, exuberant manner, perhaps. But nevertheless, I would encourage all of you to listen to the online tape of Trent last week, the first Sunday of this year, which was an excellent sermon. In fact, uh, I'll be frank with you, I think it was one of the best that Trent has ever given, and it was a wonderful sermon. So if you have a chance, please listen to that if you haven't heard it already. Very good message. Well, this week we're going to look at Matthew 6. You'll turn in your Bibles. Matthew 6, a, uh, a few years ago, Mel and I were on vacation in Daytona Beach, and during our stay, we attended a sales presentation which promised to be 30 minutes in length and instead turned out to be two hours long. Marilyn was bored out of her mind. The guy kept promising not to repeat himself, and then he would repeat himself over and over. I might have slipped my wrist, but I didn't have anything sharp in the room. In fact, I might have thrown myself out the window, but we were on a ground floor, so it wouldn't have done any good. So finally, the guy asked something which caught my attention. He asked, what are the three things most important in your life? So Marilyn answered immediately. She said, God, my husband, and my children. So I was heavily sedated by his words by that point, so I only nodded even though I don't have a husband. So the guy artfully suggested that husband and children are both in the same category as family, so he suggested maybe health should be the third category. And that sounded reasonable. So after all, who wants to be in dismally poor health? So we both agreed. So as he droned on and on, I thought, what are the most important things in my life which I pray for? God's help, family, health and healing for my wife and daughters-in-law. Certainly there's nothing wrong with praying for those things, like all of us did for Marilyn Salazar and for Joan and Aaron Taylor, Christmas time. What a terrible time to suffer an illness on Christmas Day. Those two families went through enormous sufferings at that time. But what are some of the other priorities the Lord would have me pray for? Some of those are mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, while others are included in the prayers of Paul recorded in Scripture. It's interesting that none of the model prayers in Scripture include health and healing as a priority. And yet all of us seem to have those as the number one topic of prayer in our own lives. I'm guilty, perhaps you are too. We're all like Hezekiah. Lord, give us 15 years additional lifespan with minimal problems, no hassles, and little or no back pain. The Lord knew we would need to pray for health issues. So he doesn't mention that as a suggestion because he knew that's something we would all do naturally. The fact is, prayer for health is not mentioned often in the Bible at all. Perhaps you can remember very few examples like Hezekiah praying to live the extra years 
which actually resulted in great harm to Israel, or Paul praying three times for a health problem to be removed, and yet the Lord didn't do it, but rather replies, my grace is sufficient. Or the book of James, which asks, is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That really is a scriptural prayer for healing and health. But the scripture taken as a whole very seldom refers to prayers for health. And the model prayers were given do not mention health. The one place where it is mentioned, probably an embarrassment to all of us in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, which says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, how many of us could be just as physically healthy as our souls? That could result in fairly limited health for most of us. In fact, we might all be on respirators with only one functioning kidney. Yet, what do we learn from the Lord's Prayer? Technically, it's really the disciples' prayer, since they ask, Lord, teach us to pray, Luke 11. The Lord's Prayer is really John 17, the Lord's Prayer for all. What does the Lord God incarnate teach us, his followers, to pray in this model prayer? Look with me, Matthew's chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have them. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you open. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Now, the first part, we will analyze the address to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, Heavenly Father, consecrate. Blessed Lord God, Heavenly Father, may your name be sanctified in all the earth. The idea. The second part, the prayer proper, and it's divided into four subcategories. Everything we ever pray for, falls into one of these four subcategories, which the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, mentions. Isn't the word of God amazing? Capturing in one concise prayer every category of need that we will ever pray for. Listen to these four subcategories. One, concerning disharmony with God. Problems between us and God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two, Prayer concerning disharmony with nature. Problems concerning what we need to sustain life. Give us this day our daily bread. Three, prayer concerning disharmony with mankind. Problems with each other. And forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Four, prayer concerning disharmony with self. Problems with our sin nature and temptations from our spiritual adversary. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. And finally, the third part, the concluding address to God. For yours, the Lord Jesus gives us a further quid pro quo explanation about verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. 
Matthew 6.14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those Christians are not allowed to hold and allow a root of bitterness to spring up while at the same time asking the Lord for forgiveness for our own sins. The Lord warns us that if we do that, we will not be. In the same manner we forgive others, we will be forgiven by the Lord. And yet, I know of believers who have ignored these verses to their peril. To their peril. They have taken offense and not forgiven their brother. Fifty-five years ago, my cousin married into a family. A few weeks after she was married, her husband and family became angry at the assembly and refused to fellowship and forgive despite many overtures by the assembly elders. It took nearly 20 years for her family to forgive become part of the assembly fellowship once more. She was devastated. The family was greatly harmed by this willful, unforgiving attitude. He faithfully prayed all those years, and the family finally came to their senses and forgave. A lot of grief and damage had been done in the meantime to the children parents. Another thing we learn about this model prayer is that it's short. It is concise. I remember once at Park of the Palms, when a famous assembly preacher was asked to give thanks for the food and everyone got comfortable expecting a long, showy, sonorous prayer with great spiritual depth and unrivaled rolling phrases like the Declaration of Independence. And instead, the dear brother simply said, Blessed Lord, we thank you for this food. Amen. And everyone was shocked. Not sure whether they could go ahead and eat after such a short prayer. And personally, I thought it was great because it was very thoughtful since the food didn't have time to get cold. So listen carefully. Many words do not prove spiritual depth. And sometimes they infer a spiritual shallowness. Even Again, the Lord addresses this problem when he says in verse 7 and 8, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen. Well, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. No padding is necessary. Vain repetition is exemplified by the Buddhist prayer wheel. So you don't have to bother repeating the words orally. Prayer wheel is a cylinder on a stick with a mantra prayer written on it. And when you spin the cylinder, the prayer is repeated over and over. Some clever Buddhists then wrote the same prayer ten times on the wheel, so with every spin, you get ten times the prayer benefit. Even insects which cross the prayer wheel's shadow supposedly receive benefits. So every revolution counts as a meritorious reading of the prayer. Some brilliant Buddhists then devised a windmill wheel, so you wouldn't even have to wave the stick to make the cylinder spin, and you could walk away while the prayer was continually offered by the revolving wheel, and accumulate blessings automatically. Then came the electric fan, and by then the prayers were really whizzing. But to what value? What value? Catholicism has beads for repeating the same prayer over and over. Scripture calls all these efforts empty, worthless. The Lord Jesus gives us this model prayer, but the scriptures also tell us of other topics to pray for. For example, we need to urgently pray for our unsaved neighbors, co-workers, friends, and enemies, as the following scriptures teach us, as we see the day of the Lord approaching. 
Matthew 13, 33 says, Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Matthew 5, 44, Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Luke 10, 2, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Lord, give us discerning eyes to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. By our prayers, every unbeliever has a life-threatening spiritual need, although you may not clearly see it, in the same way that drowning doesn't look like drowning. From age 15 through age 18, I was a lifeguard at Kansas Bible Community. During those four summers, I rescued 48 people from drowning. Their ages ranged from 6 years old to 55 years old. And after I dove off my 7-foot-high lifeguard tower and swam to them and I approached underwater, grabbed their knees, turned them so that their back was toward me, and I locked them in the cross-chest carry and swam with them to the edge of the pool, lifted them out. Only one of the 48 people said thank you. And that was the six-year-old girl. The rest were mortified and left the pool area in deep embarrassment with their head down as they walked out of the pool. Watch them do. Hollywood movies would have you believe that people thrash around, wave their arms, and shout for help. But that's not what it looks like when people drown. To get an idea of just how quiet and undramatic drowning can be, consider this. It's the number two cause of accidental death in ages 15 and under, just behind car accidents. Of the 750 children who will drown next year, about 375 of them will be within 25 yards of a parent or other adult because drowning doesn't look like drowning. What really happens is people look like they're an invisible ladder in slow motion with their mouth underwater and a terrified look in their eyes. Their head is tilted back. Their legs are barely moving. That's what drowning really looks like. Within 20 to 60 seconds, their head will be under the water. The most common indication someone is drowning don't look like. They look like they're dog paddling underwater. One way to make sure is to ask them if they are okay. If they can answer at all, they're probably fine, but if they return a blank stare, you may have less than 30 seconds. Spiritual drowning is much the same way, but with this major difference, the victim really doesn't know he is spiritually dead in truth. Many times he doesn't know he needs a savior. We need to be perceptive and pray for opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with people who are sinking deep in sin from far from the shore. In the model prayers of scripture, what does Paul ask for concerning fellow believers? In Philippians 1.9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are healthy, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Colossians 1.9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, wholly pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. What a glorious Romans 3.36, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should say or as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Colossians 4.3, see, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open for us a door for the word, the mystery of Christ, which I am also in chains. 2 Corinthians 2.12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened for us. But what happens if, as believers, our love is not abounding more and more, that we have little knowledge and discernment, that we don't approve the things that are excellent, that we fail to be sincere and we give offense? What happens if we have little knowledge of his will, that we lack in wisdom with little spiritual understanding, and fail to walk worthy of the Lord, displeasing him, being unfruitful in nearly every fleshly work, and decreasing in the knowledge of God, weakened with all laxity, with little patience and great sadness, and seldom faith in the Father. Well, I can think to a lifeguard swimming up to a drowning unbeliever and failing to approach underwater like he should. The drowning man grabs anything in front of him, climbs up, which pushes the lifeguard underwater, and drowns them both. In fact, Scripture uses just as graphic an analogy when it says, you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good cause, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Shipwreck, drowning. To blaspheme, includes speaking lies about the Lord. It means to revile and abuse with irreverence. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Instead, Hymenaeus and Alexander were abusing the name of the Lord. They were not using the Lord's name reverently in a holy honor. They were not hallowing. We need to pray for one another as Paul did for a fellow believer. This kind of prayer is in the first category of the Lord's Prayer. Prayer concerning disharmony with God. Problem between us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Most of Paul's prayers recorded in Scripture are of this category. By example, importance for us to pray for one another. Do we really want God's will to be done on earth? Or do we want our own will to be done? We need to consider this as we pray for us. The second aspect in the Lord's Prayer we've called prayer concerning disharmony with nature. Give us this day our daily bread. When Adam and Eve sinned, all nature was affected. Adam would have to work hard and uncomfortably by the sweat of his brow to get food. There were other considerations such as weather, strength, health that would affect his ability to feed himself. And Romans 8 explains this. For the creation was subjected to ability, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery into the freedom and glory of the children. For we know that the whole creation groans together until our Lord Jesus 
Christ encourages ultimately who is our protector and provider and who provides our food and all else that we need, including strength and health to do that work. As we've already mentioned, the third aspect of Jesus' model prayer has to do with prayer concerning disharmony with mankind and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We must forgive and not hold grudges or allow root of bitterness grow in us if we want to be free to ask God to forgive our own sins. Our forgiveness from God parallels the way we forgive others, then forgiving others becomes paramount if we want forgiveness from God. Choosing to forgive others achieves utmost importance since each of us are in constant need of God's forgiveness. Prayer concerning disharmony with self is the concluding area that the Lord mentions for us to pray about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. from. As we struggle with the sin nature that lives within us, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So our Lord tells us to pray to be directed away from temptation, which we know comes from the evil one himself. Christ concludes this model prayer with what should be our motivation for For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I would encourage all of us to persevere in prayer for one another in our homes as well as at our Wednesday night prayer meeting. As the scripture says with God's approval, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. So as we conclude this morning, may God grant that our fellowship becomes known as one which prays for one another and with one another. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Remember, fervent love includes praying for our fellow believers and forgiving them for Christ's sake. That's closing prayer. Blessed Lord, again, we give you thanks for your word, which instructs us in this important work of prayer. We give you thanks, and we do pray for one another's health and those concerns, but we also see spiritual concerns in Scripture that we are to pray for as priorities as well. We would remember those. Again, this morning, we give you thanks for this fellowship, for the opportunity to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And we pray for your continued provision and protection throughout this week in Christ's name.